You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Kirk, we spent way too long talking about my two-minute race that I ran a weekend ago. I would say that. It was a two-minute race when we probably... We probably spent like 12 minutes talking about it. And throughout that entire time, I forgot to tell you the best part <laughs> of the entire weekend. What's that? We're warming up and I had my final pre-race pee that I had to do. Yeah. And this, the race, the race route goes around a city block, but it's more like suburban city. It's along a parkway. It's the Root River Parkway. You coach at Hale. So it's right down the road mm-hmm. from Hale. Mm-hmm. So Root River Parkway extends out. So on one side, it's residential. On the other side of the street, it is a giant a stretch of grass with trees. And then the, the river or creek really runs down in the middle of it. So I jet over to the side, enter the woods, get out of sight, pee, come running back out. And John DeWitt is talking with a couple of people. He's like, man, yeah, that guy. Apparently, there's a guy that lives on the corner there. Cannot stand the fact that they use this area for training. John does all of his intervals on this neighborhood loop, and he and Dan Mockmuller coach at Hale, and they come here and run a lot of their interval or tempo days Mm -hmm. around the loop or up and down the parkway and can't stand it and always finds excuses to call the school and complain. Okay. So he said, like, did you pee out of sight? I said, yeah, I think I peed out of sight, but it was obvious what I was running in there to do. So they count down, the race goes off, We run up, we take a right, we get about 400 meters into the race, and a police car comes, uh, SUV, comes directly down the road towards us and stops, rolls the window down, flashes the lights, and sticks his arm out. And each person who's running by (laughs) all said the same thing without communicating to each other, which was, we're done on the other side of the block, we'll be waiting there. (laughs) And everyone kept going, (laughs) because we all had the exact same thought was, I'm not starting over. This would be terrible to make it 400, 450 meters into an 800 and then have to reset. So each as we came by, we couldn't hear the, the person because we're gasp calling it out. And uh, so I, I yelled it and John was just ahead of me at the moment. And we said, like, we're, we're done right on the other side. And the guy, the officer pointed over, said, kitty corner over there. And I said, yeah. I said, OK, I'll see you down there. <laughs> and he let us continue. We go around and finish, and we're kicking down the street, and he's sitting there at the finish line with his cruiser, and uh, he and his partner get out and just kind of lean up against the car, and he lets everyone come through and finish, and then we just ran an 800 so no one can talk, and they just really calmly sat there and waited for us to finish, and then once we kind of started to get it back together, we all kind of just meandered over to him, and he stood up and he said, hey... So we had some reports of uh, people being all over this guy's property and urinating. And Sean said, no one's on anyone's property. We This guy called, I'm the track coach, happens at this school all the time. And he said, well, there's some reports of urination. Did any of you urinate? <laughs> I, I like sheepishly <laughs> raised my hand and said, I urinated. <laughs> he said, Where? over in the woods. I said, yeah, in the woods, out of sight. And he said, all right, we uh, there's a record of this guy doing this stuff. It clearly... You're not like a bunch of teenagers causing issues, but what's going on here? So we told him we're running this race and, uh, and then we're gone. We're out of here. And so they chatted with us for a few minutes and pulled off and left. That's pretty quick response time. If the guy saw you dart into the woods called and then moments later, a cop was on its way. That's the only thing I can think of. Not moments. Minutes. It was probably 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. It's Saturday morning out in that that neighborhood is like end of West Dallas, start of New Berlin. It's a quiet area. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's we've we've had no response on more pressing issues that we've called on, so. You could have been in the clink for indecent exposure, Bracken. Well, and then that's one of those situations where at the end of that parkway, just about 200 meters down is a is a playground. And there are kids swinging on the playground, which is why we went deep into the woods. But if, 
some if the officers wanted to make an issue about it, you, you probably could have been a jerk and done that. But it's every runner's nightmare is that you sneak onto a track to get a workout done, and the whole time you're just like, please, please don't interrupt me. Yep. I don't care if I get in trouble after this, but don't stop the workout. And here it is, right in the middle of about as high intensity of a race as you can find, <laughs> and they pull up and ask us to stop running. And they... Maybe it speaks to our privilege, but we all decided not to, and they allowed it. And that was a uh, that was very kind of them. That probably cost you a good half a second, just that hesitation. You don't want to shout something during an eight hundred. You don't. Not at eight, not four hundred meters in. That's for sure. You have to think those officers. Like, Mm-mm. what harm are you guys really doing? A bunch of guys in split shorts that would lose like in any yeah. fight they ever got into out running circles, like. I'm pretty sure the officers are like, all right, like there's there's nothing going on here. I, I have to imagine. We have to be the least intimidating crime scene to pull up to. <laughs> that photo of you next to those guys, it looks like you would eat them all. Now, were you standing closer? There's a photo of Bracken with his, these college, oh, ex-college runners uh, at this thing, and you've got to be four inches taller than the next guy and 30 pounds heavier. And it looks like a bodybuilder stumbled into a bunch of runners and took a photo. <laughs> I, I think I'm standing a little closer to the camera than anyone You look gigantic. I think you posted it on your social media, didn't you? Which is a rarity for you. Yeah. And I was like, dude, Bracken is thick right now. I am the heaviest I've ever been in my life. Yeah. But I was also, I think it was a flattering angle. Plus, I got the post-race pump. Yeah, I forget about that, how your biceps look huge after you run. That that classic post-run bicep pump that everybody gets. That's right. All right. Well, I'm glad you didn't go to jail. Yeah. But how did I forget to tell you that? I don't know. When's the last time you went to jail? When's the last time you got put put behind bars? I, never, well, I got it. been a first. Uh, when I was probably eight or nine, my uncle was a sheriff and he took us in and fingerprinted us and put us behind bars. That was it. Yeah. I'm not a bad person. I have, I have very little police involvement. Hey, in my good life. people do bad things, Bracken. It's okay. It's okay to admit it. That's true. I'm not a criminal, yeah. accidental yeah. or otherwise. Bad people do good things too. What is that quote? Uh, I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. Meaning... Everybody's mm-hmm. gotten endearing side. I should have come out into the woods and joined. Exactly. Me. You guys could have had a moment, but either way, at least you didn't get the nightstick, and you're uh, you're in one piece, happy, to, ready to go. That's good. That's right. All right. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest. It's a very unique situation to run in, run into in any run, let alone in a race. And I forgot to talk about it. I don't. I got done, and Lisa said, "What did you say about the the police in the middle of the race?" I said, "Oh my goodness, I forgot all about that." I'd race brain. I don't know why you don't just jump a fence and go to a go to uh go to a track and do it proper. Still makes the most sense to me. But speaking of racing, I'm trying to convince you to come and run the Afton trail race with me. Twenty five K. You've run those stomping grounds. It's on July first. I think the, mm-hmm. the Midwest, the Minnesota contingency would like to see you there. That'd be a very different race than a two minute race on the road where you're being chased by police officers. And I can promise you, you can pee in those woods because I've seen people do it mid-race and nobody cares out there. In fact, it's encouraged. So, yeah, I had a guy in the last trail race I did down in Zumbro in early April. They start early. I ran a 17-miler, but they have a 34-miler, a 50-miler, and a 100-miler. There's people that have been out there for days. They don't give a shit what's going on anymore. I had a guy I passed peeing right on the trail he couldn't even be bothered to step off to the side he was peeing off the side of the trail while standing on it everything there he looked at me like i can't even turn around to cover myself right now i'm so exhausted and he just kind of gave me a thumbs up and i gave him a thumbs up went right on my way he wouldn't hide nothing if i was a lady i don't know if he would have acted any differently and that was all cool laughs and jokes afterwards so you want to run that kind of race you come up here run after and you can go pee anywhere you want thumbs up bracken sold all right i figured i'd get you there sold so do you want to spend oh i don't know 50 more minutes bsing about uh about coaching about peeking behind the curtains things that we've 
Um, things yeah. that we just, I think, are nuanced and we experience ourselves working with so many athletes. And we, Bracken and I have kind of been, I don't know, we often share coaching stories like before or after we record these podcasts. Some are really good. Some are like, oh, this athlete. Duh, duh, duh. It's all over the board. And we just mm-hmm. have kind of, I don't know, we've been having some good banter about athlete relations lately. And we thought maybe we'd just, I don't know, show you things through our lens. What do you think about that, Bracken? I think it's good. And I think people are going to see some of themselves in some of these anecdotes, which will be helpful to know that either A, you're the type of athlete we're really proud of and it's a blast to work with, or you have some of the tendencies that drive a coach nuts. And if you can uh, be made aware to that, then you can self-coach better or Mm -hmm. you can improve yourself as an athlete. And generally the things that manifest as an athlete are the things that are commonplace in your normal life. Right. Sports are like just the microcosm of life and you can't just be a different person in both realms. Uh, those common threads are common threads. So this will be an episode for awakening and personal growth. Yeah. The how you do anything is how you do everything principle, which truly does bleed into, I think, athletics for sure. I don't know about you, but um, mm-hmm. uh, I would say there's a very select group of my athletes and clients in the gym that uh, I'll say, give me the opportunity to play therapist, we will call it. Um, okay. Maybe 10%, you know, will, will give me that opportunity. I have a few right now. Do you do you ever deal with that? Put on your therapist yeah. yarmulke and Yeah, I would say most athletes, not mo- at least half the people I work with, at some point, that's what we're doing. We're not chatting, running. Mm-hmm chatting everything but running right right yeah i i just i had a couple uh a couple of recent conversations on that side of the coin and i thought we would start there is your job as a coach to completely be objective in your dealings with and try to take keep emotion out of it or is a coach's responsibility to absolutely bring emotion into it and allow that to procure the conversation? What do you think? Well, I think there's a difference between a trainer and a coach. Very good point. I know where you're going with this. And I already like This it. is maybe talking tempo and threshold and all that stuff. But uh, the Kentucky Derby was this weekend, Kirk, and they have trainers for horses. They don't have coaches. Sure. And a trainer just programs the workouts and you execute them. Mm. And a coach handles everything else associated to the athlete that could have any bearing on executing the workouts. That's the way I look at it. Trainers train, coaches train, plus deal with headspace and life and all that combined. Well, you went where I was going with this, Brack, and shame on you. Because I agree with you. I think that that is exactly the coach's role and you have athletes who keep things very objective right like monday recovery run average heart rate no thoughts or feelings regarding anything it's just like here's my data go ahead and look at it for example or when you talk about it and then you have athletes who open you up to being coached and i think in order to get the most out of your coaching objectivity is great and that can also be a part of it but i think the coaching aspect comes with the human side of things um Meaning, the more we know, the more you're helped, right? And so I have a couple athletes that haven't checked in with me in a few weeks. I've, I've sent them um, I've sent them checking emails or I've reached out like, hey, how are things going? Da, da, da. And if things aren't going well, sometimes those are the athletes you don't hear from, right? But I think being coached, it's important uh, – it's important to allow yourself to be coached, right? Not just trained. So um, you took the argument that I, not, or the stance I had, which is uh, first and foremost, like to head this conversation, if you're being coached, like you have a relationship and you and you should bring like your thoughts and feelings and life into it. So I'm glad you agree with that. Mm-hmm. I do. And I think that this is an important takeaway for the self-coached athlete. Mm, sure. Who I would put myself underneath that umbrella which is you are not self-coached you are self-trained and you need to have some support system in your life to handle the coach side of it 
You can self-train just fine, but you can't have a heart-to-heart chat with yourself super effectively. You can't be a great sounding board for your thoughts, ideas, concerns. You can't step to the outside and analyze what's going on with regularity. Sometimes you can have these moments of clarity, but most of the time we are just blinded by our own prejudice Mm -hmm. with ourselves. So you can train yourself, but you're not self-coached. And you need a training partner, a running group, a spouse, someone that can have those conversations with you. Otherwise, you are missing out on the true gold of coaching. Mm, true. That's a good point. I guess if, well, we'll dive into like our, our own like inter-athlete relationships. But like, what, what would that look like exactly? Do you think everybody actually needs a sounding board in some capacity to get the most out of their 100%. training? You really do. Yeah, I don't care what you're training for, even if you're just exercising. You just need someone. For example, Lisa's brother uh, picked up running again recently. He had been doing a lot of biking. He had trained for a mountain bike race. He picked up running, signed up for a 15K down in Arizona while they were on vacation down there. Did it, and then is thinking, maybe I'll do a half marathon or a marathon. Doesn't care about performance, just wants to do it. And is doing his own thing, following uh, probably a Hal Higdon plan that he found online. And the other day we chatted at, uh, at her parents' house and he had a, a few things that he had been thinking about for weeks during training. And Lisa and I just gave him like a, a 30 second answer on something from a perspective that he didn't even know he should look into. Mm. And it was super helpful to him. Like one was about, he, he kept blistering in a pair of shoes. I said, oh yeah, that shoe's kind of, that shoe rocked me too. It wasn't like, this is what happens when you try trail running for the first time. It's some shoes have really pointed forefoot and they're going to crush your foot. Yeah. And then for something else, it was about a long run. But the kind of thing that he did, not agonized over, but internalized for a couple of weeks. And then it, it just one person to chat with and life got a little better. Mm-hmm. And I have you for that. And I have Rich Ryan and I have Lisa and I have my parents. Just from time to time, you need someone, even if you're not training for a race. Just a perspective. Sometimes you know how it is. Sometimes athletes just need to talk. They don't even need an answer. They just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. That is something I take for granted is the fact that we we don't have coaches. We write our own prescription, but we also have these conversations with each other almost constantly before we record, after we record separate phone calls, constantly bouncing ideas and thoughts and feelings off of things that Mm-hmm. Most people don't really have. That's why I think joining training groups is so important for those uh, for those lone wolf athletes because naturally as you're out there training, you end up diving down nuanced conversation about how things are going and your hopes and dreams and what you're actually doing. So I very much mm-hmm. agree with you. So tell me some trends then, like if we move on from that. So coaching, that's I want, what I wanted to get across, the fact that coaching is like a relationship type endeavor. And the more you share, the more you get out of it. That's what how I feel about coaching. So I agree. Instead of just being data driven, I think the way you described it is like, you're either getting training, like, hey, here's your training plan, good luck, or you're getting coaching, which brings in the human element. So um, that's why there's so much to talk about, because coaching involves the human element. So what are some trends? What are some trends you notice with, um, with some of your successful athletes? Let's start there. The ones who are are reaching new numbers, um, progressing, pleased, we will say. Any trends that you could pick out among the successful ones? It's going to sound really, really cliche, but the athletes I work with who are the most successful are the most consistent athletes. And it doesn't mean that they're the ones who never miss a workout. It's that they consistently get the work done more often than they don't. They consistently get stuff in. They have the least amount of blanks. And if they have blanks in their calendar, they're not strung together. We talked about it on Cassie's episode, but you can't afford to have more blanks appearing and more and more. And if you do, you can't have them strung together. So they're the athletes that don't let themselves get derailed. They may have moments, like Les Cowan is an athlete I work with. Phenomenal uh, master's athlete constantly has things pop up that derail him shortly Mm -hmm. but he cross trains and lifts through them and gets back to work and because he was so consistent leading up to it and then afterwards he's always like oh i just pr'd my run again 
I just PR'd this climb in Green Mountain again. He's out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I just PR'd my Green Mountain loop in training. I was just tempoing it. And it's because he got derailed slightly, but it didn't keep him off the tracks. He's able to get back on the tracks and pick right back up and do the little things. So consistency. They're checking the boxes. Consistency in all forms. Okay. What what forms? Like less, for example, I don't think you'd call him consistently healthy or consistently like he's not a run streaker. He's not consistently putting up weeks and weeks without missing a run, but he's consistently doing all the work so that when he is do you, when he is knocked off the track slightly, he doesn't spend too much time off and he brings enough fitness back on. So it's not even about being perfect. It's about being appropriately consistent. Okay. That shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Being consistent. What about you? Um, I would say a common theme among my successful athletes um, would be communication, actually. Um, and that's kind of where I started this conversation would be, I can't help you if I don't know what's going on. So the ones, for better or worse, I miss my workout. I'm sick. My kid's home from school, so I got to be home with them. Um, Things like, I'm just having a bad day, and I didn't get my thing done. Whatever. I think communication. um, I always know what's going on with my athletes who are successful. Like I I have a good peg as to what's happening, not only with their training, but like life is life in general, I would say. So I would say communication um, for sure. Uh, the more I hear from you, uh, generally the better and the more invested I also am, right? Like the more time you spend with anybody in communication, mm-hmm. whether it's a little text here and there or asking you for advice, like the athletes who communicate a lot suck me in, right, to really caring a lot. And the ones who still try to lone wolf it, um, they don't get as much investment because I, I think that's human nature, right, I think I would say. And I know you and I have had discussions about that. Mm -hmm. So communication for sure. Then the other one, honestly, which I've noticed with a few athletes lately, um, is foresight. Not hindsight, but the athletes who practice foresight. The athletes who say, you know what? I do have this family thing going on on Saturday. Maybe, Kurt, can I bump Mm -hmm. my long run up to... Thursday, replace my midweek long run. I can make it happen, and then I'll do my midweek long run on Saturday, which will allow me the correct time. They have the foresight to see into the future with an injury, with something that's popping up, and they get ahead of it. They don't go, oh, shoot, it's Sunday, and I realize I missed two of my workouts. They go, oh, I see potential barriers, and I make a plan ahead of time. So I would say right now it's the the two things are communication, keeping me in the know, and then also getting ahead of any roadblocks. And I had a few a few specific examples of that with people who checked in me this week where I was like, good on you. Do I care that you did your quality session on Monday instead of Tuesday? Not really, because what's the alternative? That it might not have happened at all or it might got pushed to Thursday, Friday, and then it snowballs your week. Foresight. So communication and foresight, I think, are are the two biggest right now, top of mind. What that made me think of was being back in the teaching world. I was a high school special ed teacher, and so the vast majority of what drove our daily work was readiness for life after high school. Mm. When your support system that's built in and baked into your life in the school can't follow you on if you're trying college or if you're going to the workforce or whatever. like We can't go with you, so you have to take as much with you as possible. And one of the big skills we drove was accurately and appropriately using your resources to solve your problems. The resources around you, the resources in your community, and the resources available. And that applies exactly to what you're talking about to athletes, using your resources appropriately. Mm -hmm. There are more resources out there ever than ever. And for people that we work with, one of those resources is us, having the confidence and the knowledge that this is appropriate to reach out and say, Hey, I'm going on vacation next week. Here's what I have access to. I need new workouts. That's an appropriate use of your workout. I mean, of your resources. That's what we want you to do. Having those experts on Instagram or on social media elsewhere to reach out and say, Hey, I just have a question for you, either in a Q and a on your podcast or to do on an Instagram live, or if you have time to just message me back at some point. Using your resources appropriately to get 
answers to the problems before they become something that derail you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That kind of goes hand in hand, I suppose, with that then. Being resourceful, for sure. You know what's interesting, though, is almost like uh, countering, not countering, but on the flip side of the coin about this whole, like if you're being coached, that means it brings in the human side of things. But it, it spurred something you just said about how uh, successful athletes that are coachable, I guess one, they're coachable, first of all, I guess that's a point we could talk about, but um, they're very good about facts from excuses, right? Um, when did we talk mm-hmm. about this recently? Didn't we have a conversation? There's facts and then there's excuses. What, what was that? When did we have that conversation? I don't remember. We originally talked, it came up with Cassie recently on the interview, but prior to that, we had talked about how to analyze a bad race. What do you do with a race, especially a bad one? The difference between here are facts and here are my excuses. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And I would say generally coachable athletes are good at distinguishing between the facts and the excuses. Um, Mm -hmm. On the flip side of the coin, if you have an athlete who sometimes struggles, um, like if you had to go through and pick out in the conversation, here's a fact, fact, excuse, 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 excuse. Um, I think more often than not, you'd point point to the fact side of things with the athletes who generally are happy with their results. You'd agree with that? I do. Yeah. 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 They're more self-aware hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Self-aware. Do you see any difference between morning runners and after work runners as far as success goes? I don't. I see the difference uh, in between the people who stick to those patterns mm. and those who don't. Consistency in patterns. And maybe not stick to the patterns, but stick to their rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example, Rob Pettyjohn, I would say pound for pound in terms of races for races. He's probably one of the most successful athletes I've ever worked with. He's probably, Rob, I might butcher this. I'd say he's run two dozen races in the three years we've worked together. It's not a ton of races. That's less than one a month. Yep. Probably one every six to eight weeks is what he averages at best. And he's probably one in his age group, all of them but like three or four. He's just incredibly successful at what he chooses to do. And he almost never strays outside of the, the type of races that either excite him or that he's built for, mm. which is also an interesting characteristic. But he works out almost exclusively after work and on the weekends. That's his... That's his time frame. He knows that mornings just aren't his thing and don't work well. So he doesn't force it. But he is so successful because he's so consistent. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I see much of a difference either. I think you're you're the kind of person who either is going to get it done no matter when it happens in your day or you're not. I actually don't see a huge, huge difference there. Yeah. But I will say... I do want to, to build one thing off of your excuse versus, uh, versus facts comment i think that a lot of times in competition or in training facts and excuses can be very blurry yeah some of them are very concrete it's black and white you can see that's a fact come on you're kidding yourself that's an excuse but sometimes it could go either way and i think oftentimes the difference the the differentiating factor between a fact and an excuse is what it does to you next is it a band-aid or is it like a prod in the butt? If you get done with the race and be like, oh, that was so bad. But you know what? This happened. Oh, oh thank goodness. I found the thing that caused it. Mm-hmm. I get to like feel better about myself and relax now. That's now an excuse, even if it could have been a fact. But if you get done and say, this thing happened and it caused this and I will never let it happen again, that's now a fact and you're acting on it. Mm. So that positive reaction versus a complacent reaction, I think, can can determine whether it is a fact or an excuse for you. Because sometimes people turn facts into excuses or vice versa. Mm. That's a good point. They, um, what would you say, take, a- take action based on failures? Is that what you'd say? takeaways versus taking comfort in an excuse correct and not changing like oh this doesn't reflect on me or i don't have to do anything different Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna where other people get done and say we are changing this right now so this never happens again able to delineate between facts and excuses Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that next action after identifying it is really important yeah 
Yeah, I would say um, if we're saying on the successful athlete train, and by successful athlete, really what we're saying is you feel good about where you're at. You feel like you're getting the most out of yourself at a given moment. You're having successful races or time trials in which you feel good about, right? Like success is pretty, it can be like vague, mm -hmm. but um, just generally things are going overall well. Um, and this is to piggyback on improving, improving. in some capacity. Sure. Um, piggybacking last week's episode about, uh, so you want to do everything or you want to race all the time. I would say successful, generally successful athletes at most race once a month on my athletes, a lot of them, honestly, every six weeks. And we really get mm -hmm. somewhere. I feel like, like if you look at the year as a whole, sure, they might string together a couple of races pretty close, but as a whole, um, not over racing. We had this conversation with Ryan Kempson one of our earlier interviews, and I don't know if you remember this, but it's something I thought, and then he just put it into words. And I know Ryan Kempson, I believe, still coaches a bit. I'm not sure. You don't see much about it on his social media. But he said, you know, he had when we when we had him on as, as a guest for our Friday episode, we were talking about how he had a athlete-like intake call recently, and he's like, there's no coaching to be done with this athlete. They're racing 40 weekends out of the year. Like all it is is getting from one race to the next, and there's very little room for me to mm -hmm. develop you as an athlete when you're racing all the time. The races become your workouts, and then it's just getting you to the next race healthy and hungry and feeling somewhat good. And so uh, when, you, when you find an athlete who has, you know, 20-plus races on their calendar throughout the year, it leaves very little room for um, – fitness improvement with like a purpose behind it. And so, um, generally my successful athletes will race once a month, uh, once a month on average, I would say at most probably. Um, I just had a woman, uh, Kira, shout out Kira. She just ran 557 pace for her half marathon, got to meet De Des Linden held the tape for her. And yeah, and she's looking at Olympic uh olympic trials qualifying in the marathon and she's been killing it and she races once every 10 weeks maybe on average but we get really good work done we time trial along the way and she understands that in order to swing the hammer hard and be ready that you need a lot of good space in between there to lay foundation and so for example my more successful athletes are practicing self-restraint on the on the racing front and when they strike they strike do you find the same for you Again, and with exception, you can have small streaks throughout your year yeah. where you race two, three, four weekends in a row sometimes, but then it's followed by a recoup, rebuild phase. So infrequent racing, believe it or not, is what most of my successful athletes are doing. Yeah, yeah. And if, like you said, they compartmentalize when they are going to. They're going to say, hey, Bracken, June is going to be crazy this year. Yep. So what do we need to do to get through that? And then we can get back to a build. And it, it goes in... It's the predictable cycle for an athlete. Most of the time, they get excited by a competition, and they sign up for a bunch more. And then after a while, it stops being as exciting to go out and experience it, and now they want to get better at it. And then they start training, and then they train with purpose, and then they realize all these things are interrupting their training with purpose. And that's that decision point where you start re realizing, do I care more about the fun of competing or do I care more about the fun of preparing for competing and the satisfaction of competing to my highest capacity? Yeah, true. And they generally self-identify and move into that second camp of, all right, now I'm going to plan my season a little more tactically. But yeah, it, eventually you just, you can't do it all. And there's nothing wrong with trying to do it all as long as you know that you have to give on one of the fronts eventually, maximum performance or maximum uh, race exposure. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to race all the time. And that's why you do it. That's why we do this. A lot of us, right. To go out no. and be able to race. It's just, if we're talking about coaching and we're talking about getting anywhere with fitness and be able to get some traction. That's the scope mm -hmm. of this conversation, but there's nothing wrong with racing every weekend. If that's fills your cup, of course, I'm not hating on that for sure. I could probably take a lesson on that and race a little more, to be honest, probably would do me some good. I'd be on the opposite end, like hop in a little more. Um, Okay, anything else jump to, to mind as far as like the athletes who generally things go well for? I have one other one that jumps out, maybe two. Okay. One of the things that, that jumps out to me is that the athletes who are successful, either the ones that I work with or the ones that I just know in life, they understand 
the purpose of their workouts. Mm. They know going in why they're executing the workout the way they're executing it. And they rarely try to hit one workout out of the out of the park. From time to time they do, but if, for example, we're running threshold intervals and we're trying to hit 8 to 10 by 3 minutes with 60 seconds rest, they're not trying to run crazy fast for the first five and then see how they can hang on. They're understanding that I need to feather the throttle to get through to hit eight. And next time I'm going to try to hit nine and then I'm going to try to hit 10. And I know that we're going to reset with faster paces eventually. That's the type of athlete who stays healthy longer and gets more out of their workouts. And then in turn brings a bigger stick to the fight on race day. So those that spend time understanding the workouts, and then this is key, questioning me about them later. Many times I work with an athlete who I go over the whole plan of what we're trying to do for this next block of training. And I break down workout by workout and we go over it. We're on the same page. And then afterwards they go out and they execute it. And I realize they didn't do what I thought we were going to be doing because I gave them a giant block of text early on verbally. And there was no way to remember the purpose for all the workouts because they didn't write all of those workouts. So it's not ingrained into them. So then they come back and say, Hey, I did this workout. And this is what happened. Is this what we were trying to accomplish here? And I say, no, it's not. But next time we're going to because you asked the question and we're going to get it right. And then they still get five more rounds of workouts similar to that in that progression and they come out better for it. But the ones that analyze the workout and try to hit the workout rather than try to crush the workout. It's a good point. The question askers are generally successful. Yes. The ones who ask why. It's just like teaching again. The student who sits quiet worries you. Right. Because you don't know if they're hearing you or taking any of it in. It's the one who asks the question, and they're the ones you have to remind, hey, it's okay. Ask a question. You might feel foolish afterwards. We'll all laugh together, and then we'll move back on. But you helped someone with that question. Well, as a runner, there's no one else in your classroom. So no one else can cover you by asking the question for you. You have to ask it yourself in order to help yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you have, like you're you're nailing everything. I think good athletes still miss miss their shots once in a while. They miss fire. They have bad days mm-hmm. or anything, um, which also leads me to sort of um, I have two two things still that jump out right away. Um, and I would say, in general, the successful athlete um, understands that um, things ebb and flow in your, their training cycle and they don't live and or die by one workout or one week. Meaning, um, maybe yes, emotion is involved, but they're not a roller coaster, right? One week they're on top of the world and then the next they're down in the dumps and then the next they're questioning their why one week. And then I don't even know if I should race or then now I want to hop into a race next weekend. Cause I had such a good workout on Tuesday. I'm going to pick one out. It's like the ones who are all over the map tend to tend to struggle a little more, maybe an overthinker, which is our sport, right? Like we microanalyze, we split hairs. We have a podcast about microanalyzing and splitting hairs, right? But um, the one who just rolls with it, which, which is hard to do out of the gates. It depends how tenured you are. But the one who knows that, um, that no matter how good or bad something goes, it, it doesn't deviate them from center emotionally. I think that like there's just like like they can look at it objectively or they can understand, well, I laid an egg today in my workout because residual fatigue from a descent workout I did Saturday or being sick or something. But anyways, um, it doesn't seem like successful athletes of mine ebb and flow too much with their general emotions towards their training, I guess is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think I struggle with that. I think a lot of people do. We talk about sports are, Sports is a what have you done for me lately type exactly. thing. You're only as good as your last result. That's me. That's my mindset. When I'm riding high, I just run into every competition with a huge sense of confidence. And when I get sat down on my butt, it's hard for me to get out of that spot. Hmm. It's difficult for me. And this comes back to what is your support system? This isn't an episode designed to get you to sign up for someone's coaching. Maybe you realize you're the athlete that needs it, but Kirk and I both self-coach. Well, we self-train. 
We've tried exporting it to other people. At least I have. It didn't take. I didn't like it. But I need people to talk to through these moments. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise we just spiral into our own, that closed circuit loop of thought processes. It's really difficult to get out of that. And so the athletes that naturally can or can fabricate that with the help of others, those are the stable, long-term, successful athletes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to take the ups with the downs and all of that and try to be like emotionally detached mm -hmm. from them. But I think some people are pretty, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's inherent. Maybe it can be self-taught. I don't know. But I think riding your high is great and acknowledging when things are going well is absolutely fantastic and should have you encouraged. It's more like the dips that you're able to kind of look through, I think, instead of letting it kind of, I don't know, bleed into your next mm -hmm. workouts or your general feeling about your relationship with running, those sort of things. Um, not easy to do, but I think it's important. Mm -mm. Yeah. You're smirking over there a little bit. Is there a reason? Yeah, it made me think of this this race video I watched. I watched someone's uh, their YouTube video of an ultra they did down in I don't somewhere in the the southwestern United States. And I watched it because I'd heard it was a beautiful course, and I'm blanking on the course right now. And it was a beautiful course, and this person was out there to complete it, not necessarily to compete, but they were trying to do their best, and their stomach turned on them. And at like mile 25, I think, the looked into the camera and said, well, I just threw up everything I ate at the last aid station. And I looked at the TV and thought, well, of course you did. You just had nine pieces of bacon at the last aid station. And the one before you had a half a salted potato. And the one before you started eating at mile 16, like real foods. <laughs> and you just went from thing to thing. Whatever sounded good, you gorged on it. This was a, you, they took to heart. An ultra is an eating competition. Uh -huh. Well, this wasn't going to be that long of an ultra. <laughs> you started too early. And this was one of those moments to take the bad experience of my stomach turned and I missed my time and I was going to miss the cutoff and all of that and talk to someone about it. Because if you had a coach in that moment, what would coach be saying? They'd be saying, all right, what was your feeding plan? What did you stick to? What did you have and when, where, all of that. And you'd start listening off and they'd say, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? You took in like 1,500 extra calories ahead of schedule because things smelled good at the aid station. Hmm. And then what happened? It got real and you puked it all up. <laughs> and then you couldn't stop puking. And so you self-created this problem. So this doesn't reflect on your fitness. We don't need to get down in a deep spiral about this. This was food management system. That's what this was. That was there was nothing else than that. And if it wasn't a coach, then talk to your buddy about it. And you'd say, How, yeah, yeah, I heard you puked a bunch in your race. What happened? You start to tell him. He could easily see why. But there are many times where we can dip down into that real negative space if there's not someone to prevent us from doing so. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a tangent, but this made me think of something um, recently in the London Marathon with Safan Hassan. Um, I don't know if you watched any of her interviews, mm -hmm. but this is almost... Did you watch it? Her interviews or the race? The race. I watched it, yeah. I mean, I watched the last like 15 minutes and then I watched a highlight reel, so I saw enough. Okay, so good. It, it was really good, but there are caveats to everything. So, and everything we're saying, like if I watched Safan Hassan, her interviews about the race before, after, how she was mm -hmm. like... Savannah Sun won her first marathon. When was London? Two weeks ago? I forget what it was. Um, but anyways, before the race, she was so nervous she was throwing up. So she didn't have any calories in her body, basically, going into the race. Her self-talk was, I am stupid. I cannot run a marathon. What am I doing here? I am going to fail. I'm an idiot. I should not be here. I really don't want to do this. Like She was talking about this openly in her interviews. And then goes out and smashes, stops twice, I think, during her marathon to stretch out her, her quad. She got dropped twice. She got dropped twice, got herself back into the race twice. And I don't know why I felt, I don't know what triggered me to think about this, because I was talking about maybe the emotional side of like ebbing and flowing and being consistent. And here you have one of the greatest runners, female mm -hmm. runners to ever do it, going against a number of things that I see in successful athletes. So it's just like an interesting, like what we're saying isn't gospel. You could be a very successful athlete and 
and somehow your trigger is telling yourself you suck and you're never going to be great. And then you go out there and prove yourself wrong. Right. Like, I don't know what, so, you know, some people are in interesting head spaces, mm -hmm. the Robert Killian approach. I remember when he, it probably reminded you when you were out running his yeah. second lap of his ultra and he was in his own head telling himself like, come on, Robert, whatever he was saying. Right. He was on his own case, for example. Yeah. So oh, yeah. we're not, I think I just wanted to lay, it was more like a PSA to be like, listen, these are just things we see, but there are exceptions to the rule, the rules, obviously. And, um, for sure. Safan Hassan, go, go watch your, go watch your interviews. It's amazing to see somebody of that talent and ability have such self doubt question what the heck they're doing there. So even it happens to the best. This is the woman who won what? 5k and 10k at the last Olympics and then took third in the 1500. Yeah. Is that right? She tried the triple. She's reigning world and Olympic champion, tried her first marathon. She fell in the 1500 trials, was in dead last, and came back and won her heat, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. She's she's the mile world record holder. I mean, she's, she's as good as we've ever seen. And she woke up on race day and thought, what am I even doing here? Uh -huh. Why am I doing this? I shouldn't be doing this. And she had to have her coach talk her off the ledge. Yep. We've all woke up and thought that. <laughs> What am I even doing here? I don't belong uh -huh. here. So who do you turn to at that point to talk yourself off the ledge? Can you do it yourself? Some people can. If not, again, you got to have someone. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, that was a little bit of a tangent just as a caveat to this. To all that to say is, yeah, whatever we're saying right now isn't golden rule. It's just typical trends we notice. Yeah. The last thing I was going to say about successful athletes um, I generally find is – now, I have a different format than you. I do email check-ins every week, and then I have face-to-face -face calls with my athletes who elect to. I sort of have two different coaching tiers. One involves video video calls every month and one doesn't. But everybody, we email check-in every week. Um, and I notice this is going to sound kind of silly. I don't even know what, what to make of it, but the longer the email, the worse things are going for my athlete. So, like, the more words I'm seeing – means there's more explaining going on for some reason. And generally, we're always having some sort of hiccup. And when I pull up an email, and it's just facts, Monday this, Tuesday threshold run this, and a small blip about, yep, legs felt sluggish but got through it, whatever, I see facts, not excuses or explanations, we'll call it. Um, something mm -hmm. just like if you feel the need to explain often what's going on, there's probably like, really, if you're getting the work done, there shouldn't be a lot of explaining to do to anybody. Do you know what I'm saying? There shouldn't be need for explanations. There should be more just facts and maybe a general underlying sentiment to how you feel things are going in a conversation. And my conversations happen via email with a lot of my athletes. So when I see a big one pop up where I'm like, oh, I call it a novella, I'm like, oh, boy, what happened to this one this week? And then I start getting into it. I don't know if you've noticed that trend, but the need to explain always typically indicates that something hasn't happened appropriately. Yeah, I see that with race reports. Oh, race reports. When sure. the race report is nailed it. This went so well. Our build was perfect. Can't wait to talk about this on Monday. Yeah, I like those emails. Versus seven paragraphs of this happened and here's why I think and all that. Uh -huh. Lisa and I uh, started a, a golf documentary series on Netflix and we dropped it. It didn't, we finished the F1 mm. uh, drive to survive and enjoyed it. And so we tried the golf version and it just didn't hook us. What was the golf one? I think it's called um, full swing. It's not worth it, huh? Or something like that. I, I'm not saying it's not worth it. It didn't grab us the way the F1 did, mm. but there were some interesting things in there because these golfers are really open to talking about their their emotions and their demons. It's very interesting. And the F1 was was similar. They talked about how important confidence is. But this one, uh, I think it was Brooks Kepka said, he said, I guarantee if you ask him, and he's talking about the number one ranked golfer in the world right now who is winning like tournament after tournament, what he's thinking about right now, the answer is not a damn thing. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing to think about. He said, and all of us are sitting in here just in our own heads. And the only way to be like him is to think less. And it's impossible to think less because we have so much going on. And we need to think about to fix. But when it's going right, you don't have to think about how or why you're doing it. You just do it and it flows. 
right up until the moment it stops, and then you're confronted with your thoughts again. And I thought that was so well put. The very best person might not have a single thought in their mind right now because they don't need to. It's just flowing. They don't know why. They just know it's working. And the rest of us are dealing with all the other nonsense. Yeah. And those long race reports and excuses and explanations. That's You don't get that off of a great race. You get analysis. Yeah. 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 That's a, that was well said. But um, what do you think... Uh, if you're an, if you're an like, what would be like overarching recommendations? If you are an athlete and you have a coach, like we don't need to dwell on like, what are the unsuccessful mm-hmm. athletes doing? We kind of touched on a little bit of that by explaining what we feel like the successful athletes are doing. Right. We kind of talked about both sides of the coin for most of our, our points, but like, like, for example, my first, my first recommendation, if you, if you do have a coach, you're considering like. Re, like be in communication with them like every week at minimum maybe twice a week mm-hmm. you should have some sort of dialogue going whether it's a quick text uh an email you know people that you don't hear from become less and less top of mind like in anything right a coworker, a friend uh family uh coach athlete and so as a coach like it's very important to develop that relationship and the more you get to know somebody, the more you start to understand how to help them. So like, first of all, like recommendation, if you have a coach, like we got into this business to help people, at least I did like make a living and help people. That's the ideal situation. Right. And we're lucky enough to, to be doing that right now. But, um, we, that, which also means like, we like to, we like to hear from you. I think just having, having communication, reaching out often and constant, uh, communication and asking something of of your coach remember when we did the coaching uh it's like a coaching series i forget i forget how this came up but it's an interview the other way too meaning like like if you message me or bracken and you ask for something or you question something doesn't mean you're being a pain in the butt it means you care and like a good coach recognizes that and so opening up those lines and just poking your head in about whatever even if it's an inside joke or something stupid, like you want to be, you want to develop sort of that vibe, I would say with, with your coach. And so like, I would rather over communication than under communication and, and hearing from you more often than not. Um, so I would say like, for example, that'd be the first thing that pops into my head. It's just like, make sure you guys have a, a working communication. Yeah. You and I have, we do have different platforms for communication with our mm-hmm. coaching, but the way mine works is that when I onboard someone or when we change what we're doing, say you can choose to have a Zoom call every week, every other week if that's better for you, but we lock it in, it's a standing meeting, or we just have it on the table that anyone's allowed to reach out the moment they need something and we set up a call. Yep. And I don't think anyone ever gets the answer, no, we can't do a call. It's It might not work today, but let's find a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every single time, every single time, the person who chooses to have a standing meeting gets better attention from me every single time. And it you would think that it would get old or it would kind of run its course sooner, but those people end up staying around longer mm-hmm. because I'm just more attentive to you when you have my attention <laughs> and vice versa. If we see each other each week, we have a maximum of six days that we can go where things have the chance to get out of hand or off the rails. And then we're checked right back in and we're right back on center. And there are some athletes I work with that just go with the, I'm not going to do a standing call. We're going to, I'm just going to request, request one whenever I need one. And they are so on top of it. Hey, it's time for us to schedule our call. Or I'd like to talk this week about blank. And then we get it scheduled and it's fine. But more often than not, the people who choose not to schedule a standing call end up using way less calls than the other athletes. Even if they think, I'll just reach out every time I need it. You don't. Mm -hmm. And unlike teaching, where we used to make house calls or call the parents when someone didn't show up for school or go home and check on them, I don't do that with adults. If you're not reaching out, you're not reaching out. (laughs) That's, That's the extent of it. And that's tough. So the people who are, like you said, who are in constant communication in terms of setting up weekly calls so I can see you face to face. Those are the ones that get the best of me. Yeah. 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 You'll meet them halfway. 
so to speak, right? You're going to get out of coaching as much as you put into it, Mm -hmm. I think really is, which sounds kind of contradictory. Like the coach should just be putting everything into it and you should just be receiving, receiving, receiving. But at the end of the day, it's a, as an athlete, you should just be receiving, receiving, receiving. But at the end of the day, it's a relationship. And so finding a way to meet in the middle, right? Um, I think is important. I think that's very important. And, And you've said it like, you know, the, the less often you are able to communicate with athletes, like obviously the less, the less investment because you've had less time with that athlete. And so I agree with you. I think athletes could ask more of their coaches than less. And I'm not trying to put more work on my own plate or yours. I know we're both busy enough, but I do feel like, I do feel like sometimes we're underutilized a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a stressor to ask for more. Right. That's what you're paying for. But it almost can be a stressor to under ask because then we're always wondering. Mm. But you're shuffled to the bottom of the queue. Like you have to fight for your, your place in line. It's not a hard fight, but taking advantage of your resources is a very, very important skill to have. And it's just one of those things that if you're not a communicator, then you got to be up front. Yeah. And, and, and there are coaches who that is their thing. Lisa and I used to watch Biggest Loser. Mm. And you watch Jillian Michaels on there and Bob, whatever his name is, and they are in your face and they are tearing you down and building you up. And they, if you don't show up, they're going to march right out of the gym and come grab you and drag you to the gym. That is their style. And that works for some people, but I am not that person. <laughs> and most coaches can't be that person. And most adults shouldn't need someone like that in their life. It's for extreme circumstances, highly effective, but it's not sustainable. If you need that type of person, you need to seek out that kind of person. But for everyone else, the driving force has to be you. It's your life. Hmm. Huh. The people who reach out expecting a magic wand are the most difficult to work with. They don't last very long. In my long. opinion. Yeah. Outsourcing your motivation is, is the wrong reason to hire a coach. You can't outsource that. Right? At least I don't think. Right. Yeah. There's a time where someone says, hey, for these next six weeks, I just need you to kind of be a hard ass on me. Like, okay, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But our relationship can't be built upon that. Yeah. This cannot be our foundation. Um, anything else jump out at you? I'm looking at the clock here. Uh, I don't know how we got to an hour and I feel like we didn't cover much, but I feel like, uh, yeah, I see you want to say something. Yeah, I have one, I have one overriding kind of rule for a successful athlete is that whether it is talking about getting your training done or completing a workout or closing a race down hard, you can't leave yourself room to make a decision in the moment. Mm. All these successful athletes have made the decision before the race starts, before the workout starts, before the day starts, before the week starts. They have made the decision in advance. And then all you have to do at that point is not break your word to yourself. Rather than leaving the door open for you to weak and wiggle your way right out of it, they make the decision in advance. My only time frame tonight is 11 p.m. No matter how bad I feel when I get there, I'm doing it. And then they get to 11 p.m. and the decision has already been made and they do it. Rather than getting and looking at their watch at 1045 and say, you know what, it's not even smart to get this done. I need to sleep. It might even be true. Mm-hmm. But the decision's been made. You need to stick to it. Those athletes are the ones who don't waver. Those are the athletes who are consistent and have long-term success. The athletes who allow themselves to keep the door a little open in case they're under the weather or in case life's stressful or in Mm -hmm. case they didn't get the right meal in. Those are the ones that more often than not crap out of the workout. And then that shows up on race. The non-negotiable side of it. It's not negotiable. Yeah. I'm emotionally separate from the task at hand. That will be done no matter how I feel. Yeah. I think underneath it all, I think that's actually probably one of, if not the most important thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make the decision early and then close the door on it. It's done. We've already filed that away. I mean, I would question what I have going on in my life if my only time to work out was 11 p.m. But to make your point, I'm on board. <laughs> that's a- <laughs> like one night a week knowing this is going to be the bad one. Yeah, that sounds like a bad one because I'd be about three but- hours deep into sleep already. Um All right. I know we kind of rambled a little bit today. um, And there's like a bunch of things I wanted to touch on about maybe like some tips for the the athletes who are frustrated maybe with their coaching experiences or not getting there. But we'll just have to save that conversation, I think, for another time. Okay. 
Maybe if you didn't talk about almost getting arrested and peeing in the woods, we would have had time to get to it. But, I mean, there's priorities here, and it certainly is, you know, life talk. I'm an outlaw. You really are. <laughs> One day it'll catch up I'm to you. I'm the bad boy of this podcast You now. sure are. You sure are. You're the most hated man in West Dallas. Doubtful. Probably in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. By one guy. <laughs> um, folks, we've got a few extra small shirts left. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in extra small shirts, we've got a handful in each color, like two or three left. Uh, message me on Instagram, and we'll get them shipped out to you. Extra smalls. Almost gone. That's it. That's my last little shout, shout out. That's it. Have a great week of training. Yeah, have a great week of training. Reach out to your coach, whoever they are. That's all. We off? We sending them off? We're done. We're done. Mm-hmm.